Welcome to episode 169, Chomp Chomp, of the Mid-Off Cricket Podcast. Mid-Off, because by midway through, you'll probably want to switch off. I'm your host, Tim Rogers of Cricket Podcasting, mainly because I also play C-grade and brag about it on social media. Mick, and let me introduce you to the rest of the team. The man you would have seen out in the middle of, out in the middle of Cadinia Park last week, watching a concert. Welcome, Alex. Yep. It's the only reason I was set foot on the hallowed turf, that's for sure. Uh, next up is the man who would have been front of the queue at Ian Healy's nightclub in the 1990s if he was 18. Welcome, David. What was it called? Playing for keeps or something? Stumps <laughs> <laughs> akimbo. <laughs> I think they had a splayed stumps clock out in the front and they uprooted it moved it to Sunbury after it shut down. Someone steal the salt shakers, did they? <laughs> and lastly, the man who's still waiting with bated breath for Cricket Australia to cancel the tour of Pakistan. Welcome, Ross. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, welcome, everyone. Good to be here. Feeling Get up, top Ross. Of the world. Uh, Get I'm up. up. It's, uh, it's been a fair break between podcasts. It might be our largest break we've ever had. Three months, yeah. Our listeners all breathed a sigh of relief that it was over, but we're fucking back. <laughs> Uh, Can't kick us off the fucking tour. <laughs> Tour's never ending. Uh, welcome, one and all, to the Frederick Harold Sock Company Studios. This is a tight ship production brought to you by Big Lug Enterprises. So uh, it's fair to say she's been a pretty massive uh, fucking three days, let alone three weeks since we recorded the last podcast. So we'll talk about the biggest story that's done the news in the world of cricket in the last uh, few days, and that is the. Um, Unfortunate passing of the great Shane Warne, who um, had a heart attack in Thailand, unfortunately, and uh, is no longer with us. So, um, he's I'll start off. He's a bit of a polarising one, old Warne. Like, I love Shane Warne, the player. I thought he was, like, one of the most amazing fucking things I'd ever seen. Like, some of the stuff he did. And I'll admit, I've been one of these blokes that's been on KO for the last two or three days, watching all the highlights, all the wickets, all the things. And he just, it makes you really appreciate what he really was. Unfortunately, um, in his retirement, he wasn't necessarily the most fucking fun thing to deal with in terms of commentary and all that type of stuff. He, um, he just had these moments that would infuriate you no matter what he did. And, but then he'd have these other moments where you just go, see, that's why you're a genius. Like he'd explain to you, what he would do and how he would bowl and what field he would set and all this type of stuff. Or he'd tell you what, like, Nathan Lyon or whoever the leg, whoever the spinner was, what they're trying to do and what they're trying to do. Then, like, three balls later, it'd work and they'd get a wicket. And you go, you see, you could see the genius in who he was. But, um, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's still a little bit hard to believe. Like, he's only 52 and, but, yeah, it's just the nature of the of the world, I guess. First Dino, now fucking Shane Warne. Like, I tell you what, yeah. if you're a Victorian fucking childhood icon of mine, fucking duck for cover because you get Brad Hodge is in right. trouble, Mick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Hodgey, fucking low profile, buddy. That's what I'm <laughs> yeah. Go but, get, um, go, yeah. go get on a fitness program. Quine <laughs> is living in a bubble as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> The, you know, Brad Hodge will get Japanese encephalitis. Okay. Oh, yeah. Shit. Ross River virus, get the whole whack of bloodborne diseases. I think when um when Warnie talked just pure cricket, it was good in the commentary box. And 
I think better off being when he was on Sky and they have you know the three commentators and two play or two call the the game and then you have that one person sitting on the end who just jumps in every sort of over with a bit of tactic or you know a replay of whatever's happened. I think that's when he was at his best as a commentator. I think. Um, yeah, just going back and watching the highlights, you know, sometimes you watch highlights from the early 90s or, you know, mid-90s and you think, oh, okay, yeah, that person wasn't that good or, yeah, it doesn't hold up as well. When you watch him, it's just like, fucking hell. He could bowl in any era and still be the greatest. It was his control of the hardest form of the game, leg spin bowling or over-the-wrist spin bowling, was just impeccable. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, it's an interesting point you talk about. Well, when you look back at someone, like you look back at Greg Chapel Batty, yeah, he's like this looks like a hack. Like he yeah. made a lot of runs and shit, but like, like the wood. technique, the technique looks terrible compared to like batting techniques now. But I suppose like bowling technique hasn't changed maybe as much as batting technique has. So, you know, a leg spinner, you know, the angle arm at the right angle still looks the same now as it does back then, I suppose. Um, my favourite sort of aspect of Warney was not his commentary or on telly this is, is or in his, um, when he was retired, was they used to do segments at lunch where he would bowl to like maybe KP or someone like that or another well, batsman. Mm. Yeah, and like they'd interview him about what he's trying to do to the batsman and then they'd interview the batsman what they're trying to do to Warney. Yeah. It was really, really interesting, you know, and like as an old leggy at the time, you know, played like 15 years of local cricket, I learn something, you know, and um, what to do when you bowl into a new batsman. It's really interesting. Well, that was that was when he was, I think we mostly agree on that here on this podcast. That's when he was at his best. When he was at his worst, he's talking about Hawaiian pizzas and Peaky Blinders all the time. <laughs> Undertaker over and over again. And thirsty ball. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thirsty. I think you've got to separate him as a commentator because yeah. he might have just been an yeah. ordinary commentator, but he's one of the greatest ever cricketers. So I don't even care, like, you know, his off-field indiscretions or whatever and why he wasn't Australian captain. No one cares. He's just a great cricketer, best of all time. And you forget because those other things are more recent. It's commentary yeah. and it's in your ears, it's in your face. But I just forget about that. Think how great he was as a player and some of the unbelievable things he did, like, you know, 99 World Cup is at um, yeah. low point, just been dropped from the test side, struggling to get back from injury and then, Pulls out blinder in the um, semi-final against his favourite bunnies, the South Africans. Yeah. Second I only. Well, I don't know who was first because we played him more. Palms are probably his favourite bunnies. Yeah. You got Nassie saying thirteen times or something. You got Alex Stewart fourteen times. It's like they're just massive numbers. And um, the two thousand five Ashes, unbelievable. Forty wickets. Runs he made heaps of runs in that, and Australia couldn't make any runs. And he'd, he'd come in and make 30 odd just about every time he batted, and up to 250 for the series, I think, and 40 yeah. wickets. Yeah, yeah. 40 wickets, something in, like that. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. 40, it's exactly 40 yeah. wickets in five tests. So he's taken eight wickets a test, that's mm. four every innings. Mm. Unbelievable. Imagine every innings you get a four for. There's probably yeah. one or two innings there where England didn't. They didn't lose all their wickets because yeah. they won. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. The um the crazy thing about that is a day before the first test, I think, he got caught with the two yeah. strippers yeah. and like you essentially separated that day. And his yeah. family were coming over to live in England for you know the four months or something like that, and then went back home. 
Well, he would have Nuts. retired. He would have retired if they won. They just would have lived in England for the rest of their lives. Mm. Uh, right, yeah. It, it was his lowest ebb personally, they said. Yeah. 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 What was his year? Like 2005. He took nearly 100 wickets. Yeah. Ridiculous. <laughs> it's interesting crazy. to look back at his career. I read an article that broke it into um, three phases. So he had early days from um, 92 to 98, I think it was. Yeah. And then after he had that bad shoulder issue, he came back in the 99 World Cup. They said it was like that's when he had a lot of his um, sort of off-field issues and dramas arose between 98 and 2004 when he um, obviously took the diuretic for his shoulder comeback. So he had a lot of injuries in that six-year period. Then after the year off, he came back and he was a phenomenal. Like you said, 100 wickets in 2005. Then 2006 and seven, he was also just as almost as good as you know prolific as that he just emoted through the five six seven hundred wickets yeah. and then then of course he kept playing which all the modern players do um and played t20 then for another six years after his test retirement mm. but that seemed like when he yeah go ball i was just going to bring up the um the top five wickets in the calendar year mick um Merlin and Alan Donald, Alan Donald 98, um, in 1998, sorry. Murley in 2001 both got 80. Dennis Lilly in 1981 got 85. Murley again in 2006 got 90. Shane 96 in 2005. Oh, it's <laughs> unbelievable. And, and like 40 of those, you just been separated from your wife and, yeah. and you haven't seen it. You're like, you're never going to see your kids for the next like six months. How? Crazy. I don't understand it. It's crazy. And like, that was covered quite strongly in his documentary, which um, before uh, the untimely death, your brother's um, bull asked me to look and review on the uh, podcast. I don't think I'll do that. I don't think it's appropriate. <laughs> Wasn't that, po- that up for a few more episodes? We'd like to be very honest about it. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't very, it wasn't very positive. But um, <laughs> I, I just had a couple of things that I did like find quite interesting in the um, in that uh, documentary was that leading up to the 1999 World Cup, he and you mentioned he come back from the injury, Ross, and bowled so well in the semi final. He, according to him, in the a documentary anyway, he was bowling like he didn't trust his shoulder to pull a full yeah. rotation in at all. And like it was halfway through the semi-final bowling innings or something. And he just said, fuck it, I'm going to try and rip the crap out yeah. of it, turn it the most I can. And he had apprehension about his shoulder ever being non-painful again. And I thought that's quite interesting for one of the most confident cricketers of all time to have that sort of like, you know, you're not sure of your ability anymore. Quite yeah. interesting to me. Well, that's an interesting thing. Touching on that, that I read in a few articles in the last couple of days, is that apparently they said like he constantly needed positive yeah. feedback. Like they go, that was a big part of captaining. Was even was because he constantly come up to him and go, oh, like he come up to especially when he was starting out under Tubby and stuff. He'd come up to him and be like, oh, that was all right, wasn't it? And they'd be like, yeah, yeah, that was good, mate. Yeah, that was good. Okay, yep, no worries. And off he'd go. Then no, he took like, seven for twelve in yeah. the last innings and one a game or something. Like a heap of the autobiographies I've read, that's what people have said. You know, Adam Kilchrist, Ricky Ponting, they're like, he had just such a weird dichotomy of the most confident aggressive sports person in the world and then the next minute you sort of have to put your arm around him and tell him it's going to be all right and he's doing a good job and 
like he was he mentioned retirement way back in like 1999 during the World Cup. He's like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, this might be the last game for a few people in this team. Let's go out in a high sort of thing. And then he went out and took four or five in the semi and played for another fucking eight years. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> A few journos who'd written um, pieces of their interactions with Shane Warne had said that a bit like he'd, he'd talk to you, but then it'd be the strangest at times. Like one guy said he was um, walking past the team hotel and he was out the back having a cigarette and he said, how do you think I bowled today? And, you know, he just wanted mm. that confirmation, that affirmation, yeah. the positive reinforcement that he's doing a good job, which it's, it's, uh, seems so opposite to the Shane Warne character you see of the uber-confident top of the king of the world knows exactly what he's doing and how he's going to bamboozle everyone. But, you know, inside he was had a few more doubts than he projected what we saw. Yeah, Mm. Yeah, so one of the videos doing that's on KO that I watched is like Warney's top 50 wickets in Australia. And it's like, it's amazing. Like, you just, but I've never seen a spinner tell other batsmen to fuck off more often like, in my whole life. <laughs> That's the most I've ever seen it. He loved, I really sit back and notice it, but he fucking loved just telling the blokes, yeah, fuck off once he got him out. So I'm like, all right, no worries, buddy. <laughs> One of the great moments in the 06 Ashes here was when I think it's KP runs down and just sort of blocks one back to him and he just picks it up and pegs it at his fucking head. KP has to sort of like swat it away and KP turns around and just goes, fuck off, mate. And just <laughs> walks back to the top of his mouth. This is after he's announced his retirement, by the way, and yeah. he's still getting into him. Yeah, and they're probably best mates by that point yeah, in time yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. Great. Off, mate. But the other yeah. thing that, which is the genius of Warney and Ross touched on a slot is after he retired, he went and played a lot of T20 and, you know, IPL, BBL and all that. He went and was captain coach, the man who hates coaching, or mm-hmm. hates coaches, and has coached nearly every other fucking side he's been at since he stopped playing test cricket. But that's another that's another the fucking conundrum that he's fucking shame warm. But um he went and coached captain coached um Royal Challengers. Rajasthan that, Royals. Rajasthan Royals, sorry. And they were meant to be like the fitch they were meant to yeah, be the fucking yeah. Worst thing in the fucking world. And they won the first title yeah. on the back of like just Warney being Warney and convincing all these other guys that they were good enough to play this. They had all these young Indian blokes. They didn't have really any, apart from Warney. Had Shane Watson, I think. Yeah, Shane so, Watson and Shane Warne. But there mm. wasn't much else in the way of name no. talent. No, they didn't have any of Indian names. Couldn't and even and afford a standalone coach. Yeah, and Warney. <laughs> <laughs> So I think that's yeah, like, a big part of his um, IPL, oh, yeah. like why he's held in yeah. such high regard because that was meant to be the one that no one could, like he was meant to have no chance of winning and knock yeah. off all these other and, powerhouses. And also, Mick, it was interesting there because um, he quit one-day cricket. It, like he, he, um, after the 03 World Cup, he didn't play any more one-day cricket. He just played test cricket. It's like it seemed like he wasn't that interested in white ball cricket. Yeah. Um, you know, he retired, Glenn McGraw retired in the same test match, but Glenn McGraw went on and played the 07 World Cup and Shane Warne didn't go to that World Cup at all. He hadn't played one-day cricket for four years. So it was an interesting turn then two years later. I guess age has a factor in it to say, yeah, I'm really interested in this new format of white ball cricket. It's once again a bit of a conundrum. Like, why wouldn't you just have kept playing? Anyway, you know, just how he is. Yeah. But a, f- a phenomenal effort to take those Rajasthan Royal teams. Oh, yeah. Really, yeah. really sort of... Um, Graham Smith was in that team too, I just read. Oh, yeah. So, but you wrote them. Exactly were... dashing fucking nah. no, there were no big, um, big name nah. Indian players. Absolutely not. No. 
Yeah, and they had something like, you know, one-fourth of the spend on cricket or yeah. something like yeah, that. Yeah. It's got to be yeah. one of the greatest, like, club-level sports stories, you know, of, yeah. I don't know, this century, surely. Yeah. You know, if you're coming in and an ex-superstar, you can write a thousand movies about it. Be, like, a movie about it would be quite good, I think. Um, in the documentary, Wardy was talking about how he coached the um, Rajasthan Royals at the time and stuff like that. And it, it's so funny to me that, like, the, you know, people were talking about the genius of Warney coaching and, you know, being a captain and how he, you know, mentally prepared his players. And it's exactly the same shit that I see week in, week out at local cricket. But, like, I'm guessing, like, the international guys don't really understand that that's down at local cricket. This isn't, like, it was nothing revolutionary. It was, like, let's all keep our level head, guys. You know, don't get too excited. Don't get too down. And they're all, like, it's just amazing how he, you know, dragged these players in and blah, blah. I was, like, that's what people say at local. It like, it was nothing special. Just find that interesting. A lot of documents. Entries I've seen is that the elite level got no understanding of what happens at lower levels, so they think what <clears throat> basic shit is amazing at higher level. But another hilarious thing about the uh, documentary was they did a um, sort of acted out flashback to when Warney drove to I forget his coach's his mentor's name Terry Jenner Terry, Jenner. Terry Jenner's house. <laughs> In, and it was it went to catch up in 1992, and it's in sepia tone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, oh, 1992 sepia tone now? That's Come awesome, on. Alex. Come on. It's Once in like, a lifetime, 92. Full colour. <laughs> Come on, guys. It's like driving at dust out of this paddock. I and remember East buddy... Street was in black and white. So. <laughs> <laughs> just, I've never seen East Street. So I wouldn't know. Street, I've seen that. That's ridiculous. Bloke with the earring. <laughs> Mr. Bad, half silver, half black. They're, um, Worst show on TV. My, all I'll say about... Warning of, of for me is my childhood would have been a lot less interesting if he wasn't playing fucking cricket. Let me tell you. Must watch I'll, television every time he had the ball in his hand. I'll be honest with you, Paul, because um, I think Mick, I don't remember much cricket before Shane Warne played, to mm. be honest. Mm. Basically, I, I can't, don't some any. of the stuff that um, Mick has talked about, and some of the players remembering guys like um, Peter Sleep and stuff like that, or Peter Taylor, I don't really remember. Remember them? I don't know. I just wasn't quite into cricket quite that much at the younger age. But, you know, I have snippets of memory from the 92 World Cup. I know Shane Warne didn't play then, but he, he played. He started the the next summer. Yeah. Oh, that summer. That summer. Yeah. Um, 91, 92 against India. And I remember the 93 Ashes, little bits and pieces of that when he played. So, yeah, basically early cricket memories involved Shane Warne onwards. He, he ruined the game for about... Four million people, though, because they all tried to bowl leg spin. One of them had yeah. to turn into be Australia's second greatest batsman of all time just to get out of it, and that's the yeah. thing. <laughs> Everyone else just fell by the wayside. All these kids could have been gun-fast bowlers, but they've taken up leg spin and fucked it for everyone. Yeah, that was the thing. They thought with Shane Warne coming along, there'd be this big wave of yeah. um, leg spinners coming through. It's too hard. The thing that did happen was... Another, not to get off the topic of Shane Warne, but Adam Gilchrist, keeper batsman, aggressive, you know, yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, lots of protégés yeah. of him coming through Australian cricket. Not, not as good as him, but emulating him, but yeah. no yeah. one yeah. able to get close to Shane Warne. The thing Warne had, which a lot of these other league spinners don't have, was ginormous fucking hands. And oh, fingers. Yeah. And fingers. Yeah. Like, as Kerry O'Keefe was like, I've watched, because... um. 
Um, Fox Sports did a bit of a thing. They interviewed a lot of people and all that basically for most of the day on um, Sunday. Sunday, Sunday, um, whenever it was, uh, Sunday. And um, Kerry O'Keefe described, he goes, imagine 10 sausages grabbing an onion. He goes, that's what he's doing. <laughs> and that's why he was a good slipper. That's why he was a good, mm. that's why he could grip the border by leggies because he had fucking mitts for hands. You know what else he enormously had? Enormous fucking pills. Because he'd go before the bloody series and just tell everyone they're shit. We're going to get you out. We're going to win four nil and then stand at first slip and mouth off all day to the quick bowlers when they were batting. And he wasn't really, I mean, he can hold a stick, but he wasn't a great bat. And he just went, ah, fuck it. I'm just going to go in. Well, that reminds me too. There's a story that um did the rounds on Twitter and it was Andrew Strauss was telling, it was actually an outtake from. Oh, I, I did say this. this Andrew Strauss is like telling this story about Warney. And Strauss is at slip and, like, Ashley Giles is bowling and, like, Strauss is going, oh, you got him here, Giles. He's struggling here. He's struggling here. And Warney backs away because Warney's batting. Warney backs away and goes, come on, mate. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, you he goes, you aren't even in control here, let alone don't worry about me, mate. Right, right. God gives it, gets into Strauss here. Then he goes to face up again. And then he stops again and backs up and goes, if you say anything else, I'm going to hit this fucking bloke for six. And Strauss is like, oh, yeah, okay, no worries. So as soon as he faces up, he goes, Ash, you've got him here. He's struggling. Rah, rah. <laughs> Next ball, Warney basically takes a foot down the step. Bang, over square legs, six runs. <laughs> fucking goal. Yeah, two overs left in the day, too, yeah. I think. And he just goes, fuck it. So good. But that's like, that's the type of thing you watch. And you go, that's Warney. Like, that just sums him up so fucking much. Yeah, like, that and his county bat. Yeah, two yeah. Oh, yeah. Warney. County. Is, um, it was right, Dave Giles was shit. How he played test cricket. <laughs> <laughs> he, he started the bowling on leg, hoping for singles oh. technique. Oh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, anyone got anything else before we uh, move on from the uh, death of the king? Nah. nah. All right. So we'll touch on, unfortunately, there was another death in the last couple of days as well, and that was um, old Iron Gloves himself, Rob Backsmarsh. So um, he passed away the day before morning um, of a heart attack. He suffered a heart attack probably about a week ago and has been struggling uh, in hospital for a while, unfortunately, uh, Rod has. Um, I'm of the age where I don't really – never, obviously never watched him play. <coughs> I'm fucking old, but I'm not that fucking old. <laughs> but um, I do look – I look at him when you think of the guys who changed the game through World Series cricket. I think he's part of the three. Mm. Four, if you count Packer, like he's not a player, but they're the four. Like I see, it's Chapelli, Lily, and Marsh, and then you've obviously got Kerry Packer. And from watching, you know, some of the docos and that, there's obviously more people behind the scenes and that, um, like guys like Richie Benno and that who got on board early. But I always see like Marsh, Rob Marsh is a massive part of changing cricket, and obviously, like he was the first um, Test keeper to make a ton. And That's like, the thing. Took a hundred years for it. An Australian, I think, Australian keeper to make a hundred, and yeah. he was the one who did it. That's fucking mental. Yeah. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Uh, just the thought process of what keepers were meant to do. It didn't matter if they didn't make any runs. And the other thing about him too is like, don't like, like from like I said, like I said, we're not old enough to really appreciate Rob Marsh, the player, but he's obviously an absolute fucking legend of Australian cricket. Mm. But the other part, which we probably we as younger blokes benefited from in terms of our watching cricket was his time of the head coach of the academy. Like yeah. some of the players 
that went through it was it was called the cricket academy back then it was based in based in adelaide like that's where punter and warning become friends like that like they went to the academy together yeah. like basically every player pretty much punter side that broke those records apart from maybe like you know one or two blokes went through that academy and played cricket together and like so i think from that point of view as much as he contributed on field as a player in his time he probably nearly contributed equally or even more so mm. as and that head coach of the academy and the players that he helped help develop obviously guys have natural ability but you know plenty of guys with natural ability don't make it to the yeah, top that's right oh, yeah. with, with his help and the coaching and that through the academy he basically he's created he helped create this like australian cricket powerhouse that we've had for the last you know 20 25 years so from that point of view he deserves a lot of credit for that yeah. as well which he, he rightly gets because you saw in a lot of the tributes to guys like puncher and all that who did play or were coached by him and played under him in the academy hold him in such high regard which i think says a lot for who he was um in terms of cricket as well i think he 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 was um the head of the the english academy just before the 2005 ashes as well yeah, and yeah, he was so i think there was an old quote that i've read a couple of times someone asked would they dare pick this greenhorn in Kevin Peterson? And he goes, well, they fucking better or else they won't win. <laughs> and then sure enough, out he comes and belts us ever in that first Ashes series. So I think English cricket owe him a fair bit as well because of the way he changed them from being really perennial losers against Australia anyway yeah. into, you know, a half-decent cricket side for, you know, a couple of years. But yeah, so um, unfortunately, yeah, like, I can't, can't tell stories about Rod the way we can tell about Warney, but mm-hmm. um, he will be so sorely missed. And um, yeah, unfortunately, he wasn't like he was seventy, but it's not seventy's not that old when you really shit fucking weak, isn't it? Really? Like, oh yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's pretty fucking yeah. It was a big few days for for uh, Australian cricket, but not mm. the good way, unfortunately. Um, so we're gonna uh, so yeah, so we're gonna move away from um, a little bit of the. Uh, Death talk. Um, we're going to talk about. Uh, yeah, can't have a podcast all of that. Um, so we're going to talk about uh, something else. Is a little bit the other side of the spectrum. We're going to talk about another one of my heroes who's fallen on fucking hard times and become a fucking dickhead, and that's Matty Hayden. So um, in the last <laughs> few weeks, um, Matty Hayden has accused Cricket Australia of letting the players cherry pick which white ball matches they take part in, arguing it will damage the team's culture. So, quote from Hayden was, when players are choosing not to play for their country, it is a massive flag of concern for your high-performance setup. It just doesn't... just I I just don't reckon it passes the pub test. The single biggest thing which ties everything together at that level is that you are all keen to play for your country. And if you haven't got that, I actually question whether you have a high-performance culture at all. Wow. I actually think he brings up a good good point, Mick. Yep. (laughs) I don't. (laughs) I don't. Before, Bull, I'm going to let you talk, but I just want to fucking... I just want to finish on one part. I've written a whole article out, but there's a really good part I want to fucking... Yeah. Um, Where is Does he mention his hat? It? <laughs> it talks about you know how the IPL obviously makes it very difficult and all that type of thing and he goes you know the IPL does affect it rah, rah, rah. but um now this is the thing so this is from 2016 all right so this is from the same human being so just listen to this for a minute uh the players have got to actually wrestle back some of their own power from within from within 
rather than listening to physios, your strength and conditioning coaches, your high performance manager, even your coach for the, for that matter, and actually dig in as a group and build the culture. That's the fabric of the baggy green. That's what you're passionate about. And I'm not seeing some of that at the moment. I'm disappointed. Mm. Fucking hell, Matthew. That's all I'm going to say. Fucking hell. Yes, Dave. Did, um, I wonder if Matthew Hayden held the same views in the 2007 World Cup when Jimmy Marr was with keeper for a couple of games because Gilly was having a rest, or the 2003 World Cup when um, Jimmy Marr was keeping because Gilly was having a rest, <laughs> or a series when Ricky Ponting stayed home from New Zealand because he needed to have a rest, uh, and Matthew Hayden was still playing back in the... I wonder if he had the same thought process then, or if it's just now because he's sort of sliding out of the limelight and he's his big dumb hat's not doing it for him anymore. He just needs to be heard all the fucking time. Yeah. yeah. Also, I think he... find it interesting that in 2016, when yeah. his mate wasn't coached, the player shouldn't listen to the coach. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's interesting. I think he makes a good point, though. You saw those teams that we sent to the West Indies and Bangladesh for T20s um, middle of last year. They were terrible. Yeah. And then we send the proper team to the World Cup, and look, we win it. So the problem is now we're resting six blokes instead of just one or two rosters. Yeah, that's it. That's it too. Yeah, yeah. It's like fair enough if someone did need a break. Um, yeah, but like they didn't play the one days against New Zealand. They didn't play the T twenties against New Zealand. They, Dave Warner is not playing. Uh, he's just playing the test and then going home or so. It's like what if he basically hasn't played? Like, what's what's the deal? Don't get it. Uh, a global pandemic, perhaps, has might change some players' mindsets. Whether you think it's legitimate or not. No, no, no. I take it. I, I take dare it. say that might factor into a lot of people's reasoning with travelling across the country, across the world, sorry, into a new country um, to play a few games of cricket. The travel aspect definitely in the last two years hasn't been as fun as it probably would have been. Yeah, and it's more risky as well, um, perceived or actual risk. Uh, I think it's actual, in uh, my opinion, but I'm not a pandemicologist. The other side of that, but when you watch footage from before the game, and there's blokes with metal detectors checking the pitch for landmines and stuff in cases of terrorist attack, it's pretty much it's tr- pretty treaty out of Pakistan as well, but a lot of blokes put their hand up. Does that happen? So, I didn't even yeah. know that. Jesus yeah, Christ. There's some photos yeah. online. There's guys with metal detectors going up and down the pitch, making sure that nothing... Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, hey, look, that's another reason to not travel and stuff as well. Look, whether we, look, like I said, whether we think it's valid or not, it's in people, it's in players' yeah, thought process. And also, uh, you can't really complain about the process. We won the fucking World T20 Cup. <laughs> we fucking won it. So send the shitters over to West Indies next time we play a World Cup because we win the fucking thing. <laughs> Yes, Dave. If I could be flippant for just a second, maybe they should have put a landmine in that fucking pitch. (laughs) Nothing. At least the ball might get off the fucking square. (laughs) Might might fucking create some turn if there's a crater in it. Fuck me. We'll we'll fucking be touching on that in a second too. (laughs) But yeah, so hate off slide. Yeah. Just, that's the problem with when you say so many things in the media, mate. You can bring your old quotes back to fucking haunt you, buddy. But anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, luckily, no one listens or remembers anything we say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, alrighty. So, what? the uh, this podcast has been so long since we recorded that the um, T Twenty I series against Sri Lanka was still happening. That felt like it was six months ago. Oh, God. So, um, give you the hot tip. Fucking we won. 
Uh, we won one. Shalane, <laughs> the hot tip. Shalane, no spoilers, Mick. I'm going to go back and watch Shalane, all the KO. We won the last one when it meant fuck all. <laughs> but, um, so, uh, Maximo, 48, not out in the fourth one. Uh, he got man of the match. We won by six wickets. Uh, the last one, these were both the G. Sri Lanka, um, one. They chased down 155. Mendes got 69, not out. Hey. Uh, so, the oh. Sri Lankans did win by five wickets. There's only really one wicket because they only took six of ours. Um, Man of the match was Mendes. Aussies win the series 4-1. Man of the series was whoever you think it is, because I didn't write that down. Um, so, yeah. Man of the series is your favourite player, listeners. Yeah, man, my man of the series was Aaron Finch. I thought he captained really well. I don't think, think he did well, but he captained. Uh, all righty. So, from there, we're going to talk about some uh, domestic cricket, because that is one of the three pillars of our, of our trident of uh, cricket podcasting, we have here. international, <laughs> domestic, and local cricket. Uh, so, um, a couple of Sheffield Shield games have happened in the last couple of weeks. Uh, so, the Vicks played Queensland at the Junk, which is in the great city of Melbourne, for those wondering at home. Uh, the Queenslanders won the toss and they elected to have a bat. They would make 349 all out. It was a debutant. Jack Clayton would top score with 109 for the Queenslanders. James Basley would also get 64. Matt Short was the pick of the uh, bowlers for Victoria. The young man from Ballarat took four for 74. And Will Sutherland, the son of the chief, would get three for 78. So in reply, the Vicks would get 360. They did a full circle. Uh, Maddinson would get 110 not out. Hanson would get 92. And Marcus Harris would get 91. Ross's man, Garinda Sandu, would get five for 65. Rolling offies. Fucking how unlucky with those five blokes. Fucking huh. uh, So Mark Steckity, who's currently in the test squad, will get three for 92. Um, so Queensland would uh, have another bat. They would declare seven down uh, for 246. Jimmy Pearson gets 76. Basley would get another few runs. he get 42 not out. Uh, Mitch Perry take three for, as would the duck, John Holland. So the Vicks needed 236 for victory with about 40 to 45 overs up their sleeve. And didn't even fucking try to chase it. Like, I love Victoria, but fuck me, that was pathetic. <laughs> it, like, after actually, after watching the last couple of one-day games they play, I understand why they didn't try to chase it. <laughs> Would have made 150. <laughs> but, but they basically finished three for 104. Maddinson got 48 red. I think Hanson got like 20 off 100 balls or something like that. Like, it, just looking at that, that, I understand they were trying to probably stop Queensland getting a result. But the way the system is now with the points anyway, that shit doesn't fucking really matter. So I don't know. I just think it was I think it was it's a little bit gutless. But anyway, uh man of the match was uh Nick Madsen. Uh match ended in a draw. So the points were Queensland got one point six one and the Vicks would get two point one to take home the victory, I suppose, if you look at it from a points point of view. Um, so the other Shield match that happened in that time was uh, New South Wales hosted Tassie at the SCG. Uh, the New South Wales boys won the toss and elected to have a bat. Uh, they would get 276. It was Hayden Kerr, the brother of Wayne, would get 88. Uh, Jackson Bird would get three for 38. And his half-brother, Sam Rainbird, would get three for 77. So uh, in reply, Tassie get rolled for 213. It was Mac Wright who got 57 and Jake Doran get four. I don't know. Right, that's his name. Right. 
Yeah, former New South Walesman, former Victorian, now re New South Walesman. Chris Tremaine will get five <laughs> for eight, and Tan Sanger will get three for fifty-five. So New South Wales is bad again. They would declare nine down for two sixty-six. Jason Sanger, no relation to Tan will get seventy-five, and Matty <laughs> Chilks will get sixty-four. The quarterback Bo Webster will get three for forty, and Tom Andrews will get three for sixty-nine. Chomp, 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 chomp. Um, so in reply, the Tasmanians needed 290. They would get rolled for 214. Mac Wright would get 78. Trent Copeland would get four for 46. And that would include his 400th first class. Hey, Copes. So well done to Trent Copeland. So you can bolt, you can bowl at first class level and pretend you know about cricket and be a commentator. So well done, buddy. Uh, man of the match was Wayne Kerr. I mean, Hayden Kerr, uh, New South Wales win by 75 runs. Points were uh, New South Wales 7.76 and Tassie uh, 1.13. Hey. Logged them. 1.13. So I'm being told there was another game of shield cricket in this time, which I didn't have written down. So we're going to, so Queensland played South Australia um, and my website's not loading. So good. <laughs> I'm guessing Queensland won convincingly. The way they've been going, I'm fucking surprised. I'm pretty it? sure Lloyd Pope got dropped for this game too. Yeah, so the Pope diary is not updated. We can all remember three weeks back to the last Pope okay. update. I hope so. So the match was a draw, actually, Alex. So, oh, shit. Uh, so Queensland would bat first. Uh, they would get 305. It was Jack Clayton again in his second game would get 85. Um, who got anything special? Nothing really with the ball. A couple of twofers. Uh South Australia, in reply, will get rolled for 244. So they declared for 29 down. Jake Lehman got a ton. Jake um, Lehman? Yep. Corinna Sandu, Ross's man, would get three for 64. Ooh. Queensland would bat again. Um, they would get 191. Sam Truloff would get 64. He'd come back. He's been smashing it in... Uh, Queensland uh, Premier Cricket and finally got recalled after about three or four years in the wilderness, so well done to him. Um, but it was Liam Scott of uh, South Australia get five for 46 and David Grant would get three for 48. If you knew who those two blokes were before I read their names out, you are full of fucking shit. Um, uh, alrighty, so South Australia was set 253 to win. They would get three for 115 before the game was called. Jake Weatherall would get 60 not out. Um, so points were... Queensland, 2.92. South Australia, 2.15. Match oh. referee was Kepler Vessels. And man of the match was one of those blokes from one of those states. And we agree with you if he's your favourite player, and we don't if he's not. Yeah. So that is the Sheffield Shield for the last few weeks. From there, we're not going to stop. We're going to keep talking about domestic <laughs> cricket. We're going to throw it over to Roscoe. He's going to talk to us about the Marsh One Day Cup. Set to sizzle. Thanks, Mick. Now, there have been six games in the last two weeks, the final six games of the home and away season, three for Victoria and three for New South Wales, because you remember they couldn't play games mm-hmm. earlier. Yep. New South Wales, three games. How many games do you reckon they got abandoned, no result? Two or oh, three of them. Three out of three. Hat trick of no results. Fuck, I'm good at quizzes. <laughs> you always win them. You're in a yeah. full-blown dynasty now. So, so they also had a match abandoned, no balls bowl because of the weather before the um, BBL break. So they played six games, four of them abandoned without a ball bowled. That's why we play, fellas. And that, <laughs> that has catapulted them. Two wins, four no results, into second place on the 
was going to say they're going to play finals now. And they're going to play in the final on Friday this week. Shit, I wish them all the best, Ross. Mm. The other three games obviously involved Victoria, and it was disastrous, Mick, let's be honest. The first game was against Queensland down at um, the old... Yep. Junction over, yep. I think. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Queensland made 285 for six. Sam Truloff made 80. Don't know who he is. Mick and just then, mentioned him. Okay. Victorian innings. Nick Manninson made 52 and the openers both made 30, but they only made 193. So they lost that game by uh, 92 runs, Victoria. They then had a week off to do something. Soul they, searching, I imagine. Yeah. Then they played Tasmania just on Sunday. And that was. Tassie made 295 for six. Ooh, and Maddie Wade made 86 off 55. So that was a fair knock. And uh, in reply, the Vicks made 156. Wow. Bloody to, Sunday indeed. 44 to Glenn Maxwell, which means they lost that game by 139 <laughs> runs. So 92 and 139. And then, yeah. and then, then today... They made 143 batting first against WA. Yeah. And WA chased it down with four for 145 with 137 balls remaining. Oh, close. <laughs> As you so, get that. Let's just go through the scores. They made 193 chasing, then they made yep. 156, and then yep. they made 143. So they're getting worse and worse. Yeah, yeah. So if they had to that play win, again... They'd win you a few games in the NMCA. Yeah. <laughs> if they had to play again on um, next week, they'd probably make 80. 80. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just slide like just away. Their stumps over. Win the I'm toss, really... Matt, first kick all your stumps over. Yeah. Yeah. Great one. All right, see you, boys. Bowl wides and fucking half volleys. Get on the piss. That's why we yeah, play. The, em- emphatic <laughs> victory for WA today. Catapulted them into the hosts of the final and they get to host it at the Junction Oval. Beautiful so ground. Yeah. Be, like, be like the whacker in the old days. Oh, yeah, Mary Creek mud all over the place. Oh, there'd be people baying for blood in the crowd. <laughs> oh, yeah. Concrete jungle everywhere like the whacker. Yep. Yep. All righty. Thank you, Roscoe. So from there, we're going to move on to a bit of international cricket. So um, before we touch on the international cricket, we're probably most interested in. Again, Sri Lanka have been playing India in a test match as well. I don't oh, have yeah. the full result because I don't really care enough. I yeah, wish them both, thing, both teams the best, Mick. Yeah. But one thing interesting that has come out of that match was uh, – Ravi Jadeja has um, become the second player in Test cricket history and the first man to make 150 plus runs in an innings and take nine plus wickets in a Test match. Jesus. So the first person to do that was Enid Blackwell. She did that for England in 1979 against the West Indies. So Jadeja would make, he made 175 not out. India only batted once in this match, and they declared he made 175 not out. Then he took match figures of nine for 87, no, eight for 87. Sorry, he took four for 41 and four for 46. Mental. No, he must have. I thought he took a nine for. He must have taken a five for. I'm fucking reading the end wrong. Anyway, so um, he took nine wickets as well. So first man in history of the sport to do that. So all I'll say to that is well done, Ravi. And you're lucky I don't play test cricket because I would have knocked it off about second test, I reckon. But anyway. oh, well, yeah. <laughs> Mick, just a quick one there. He yeah. made 175. Yeah. And uh, Sri Lanka 
uh, made then 174 <laughs> in reply. Won the game on his own. And then they had to follow on. So India enforced the follow on despite only leading by a measly 400. Enforcing the follow on sacrosanct. Yeah. <laughs> Rolled him for 178. If I've learned anything from um, going to my cricket club vote count the other day, Today's you got about twenty four votes for that game, so yeah, out <laughs> of a possible thirty three. <laughs> um, all righty, so we're going to touch on the uh, historic uh, India. Oh, not India, fucking they're done. Australia Pakistan Test match at the moment. Once in a lifetime. Once in a lifetime. If you, oh, if you, if you died at twenty three, none. Only born lifetime. in the last twenty odd years. It is fucking once in a lifetime at the moment. So. So, yes, Gin. Uh, just a, a fun fact on this one. Mm, Can uh, and a semi-quiz. Guess the average age of the Pakistan populace. Oh, it's really low. I heard they said this on the coverage. 42. Like 22 or something. Close, Mick. Roscoe, you got a guess? You're on mute, Ross. Seven. Oh, Seven. It's a bit high. Very close, yeah, very close to you, Mick. Seven. No, it's 23. Yeah. So the majority of Pakistanis haven't, weren't alive the last time Australia played in Pakistan. Is that mental? 23 years old, your average age. In Australia, it's got to be something like 50, right? Oh, you think so? In the yeah. 40s, I think, yeah. Yeah. At least. But yeah, so we headed to uh, the Raul Pindi Cricket Stadium in, knock me down with a feather, Raul Pindi, where yeah. uh, Pakistan would host the Australians. So, um, what happened here? So Pakistan won the toss and they elected to bat and they chose wisely because this <laughs> is a fucking road. The only thing this thing had missing was the dotted line down the fucking centre of it. Jesus <laughs> Christ. So um, all I'll say is the bloke who's the match referee this match was the bloke who was the match referee in Melbourne oh, yeah. when we almost lost our international status for 12 months. He... Better be on his game. On fucking notice. He's on fucking notice, I'll tell you what. (laughs) Otherwise, in the next indeterminate amount of time between now and our next podcast, he could cop a spray (laughs) from us on a podcast. Let's see, what's his name? His name is... (laughs) David Boo. Fuck! (laughs) Madagale. You're on notice, Madagale. We're coming for you. I have, a, I have a quick question. I'll go ball, go ball. I was going to say, this pitch might do something in 24 years' time when we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to ask a question. How did the players and the support staff get to the ground in Royal Pindi? Did they use the Royal Pindi Express, perhaps? Or? That was a fucking armoured, bulletproof troop carrier by the... <laughs> Royal Pindi troop carrier. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, so as I said, the Pakistanis... Yes, sorry. Sorry, you continue. I'll give you an update in a minute. Oh, so the Pakistanis batted first. Uh, they would end up declaring four down for 476. They would face 162 overs to get to that 476. So Abdul Shafiq opened with Imam Al-Haq. Uh, Shafiq made 44 and threw his fucking wicket away. It was one of the worst dismissals I've seen. Dance down the pitch, swipe at it, straight up in the air, on your bike, see you later. Every other prick here is lining up to make double tons and you're throwing your wicket away. Dumbass. So Imam Al-Haq would make 157. That is his first test century um, for Pakistan. 
Um, and Azzy Ali would make one for 85. For those playing at home, he's a very good bat. And last time they were out here, he was making tons. So it's not like that was um, anywhere out of the ordinary. Yep. Uh, Baba Azam, who's basically their best player, was run out by Manus in a very sharp piece of work for 36. Um, and then uh, Mohamed Rizwan got 29, not out. And uh, Ahmed got 13, not out when they declared. So the Aussies, there's um the actual... There's some dire-looking numbers, but when you look at it from an economy point of view, it's actually not that bad. Most blokes went at three or under. The only bloke who went, only two blokes who went at fours were Trav Head and Marnus, who were just part-time jippers. So heavy, heavy. Yeah, like like Nate Lyon looks bad. He got one for 161. Which oh, Gin one for. Fucking sound good. Daddy Gin one for two overs. So he basically went at threes. So it's not as bad as it may. But fuck yeah. Alrighty. <laughs> So, um, the Aussies that have a bat, uh, we would get rolled for uh, 459. So, we did lose first innings points to those playing at home. So, uh, I've got to hold us steady in um, the rest of the season, Mick. Yeah, we've got to call that back somehow. Yeah, maybe yeah, outright a team. I don't know if we can those... reverse this outright at this point. You <laughs> right. have to get, claw um, back so... those World Test Championship points by doing the fast overrate rather than the slow one. Oh, yes. True. Mm. So, um, Usman would open the batting with uh, David Warner. Uh, Usman would get 97 before he got out reverse sweeping. Now, he had been reverse sweeping all day, making runs, so it's hard not to slag him. That being said, I'm going to make an effort. Fucking hell, Usman, what were you fucking thinking? Anyway, uh, Warner would get bowled for 68, trying to cut a straight one that was on middle stump. Well, batted David. Um, then Marnus would get 90. Steve Smith would get 78. Trav Head would throw his wicket away on eight. Uh, Cameron Green will get 48. Kerry will get 19. I tell you what, if there's another bike out there who can wear big fucking gloves and bat a little bit, Alex Kerry might not have too much time left in the fucking game. Way he's going, David. You might be next in line. Uh, I'll get on that. <laughs> Stark got 13. Paddy got eight. And Nathan got three. Josh Hazelwood got none not out. So Pakistan are having a second bat, and they are currently none for almost 200. None for 200. It's a great game, cricket. Got 100 <laughs> Imam, Imam Al-Haq, who had, not made a te- who had not made a test century before this test match. Let me repeat that. Had not made a test century before this test match. He's seven runs away from walking away from one in each fucking innings. He's, um, yep. Cameron Green's just come on the bowl, the eighth bowler. Travis Head's bowled before him. Steve Smith's bowled before him in the second innings. <clears throat> um, Good idea not to play two Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Yeah. It's also good, in my opinion, not to bowl Cam Green at all. The test is going to be a no result. Put him on ice. He's young, tall, and bowls quick. So throw Trav head on the fire. I actually thought he was very good in the first innings. This would actually have been a chance to give him a a decent bowl, but oh, confidence-wise and stuff, yeah, man. Different ways of approaching yeah. it, but um, this is like break him if you don't bowl him, Alex. You know, we've got to break. Well, that's him. And as we know from uh, Pat Cummins, you come back even better once you back break 16 times in eight years. Now at this age, imagine how good he's going to be. Oh, yeah, yeah. exactly. righty, yeah. So that pretty much wraps up that. Yeah. So that test is just fucking dead in the water. Yes, Alex. Um, I noticed you. I'm not sure if you didn't mention Shaheen Shah Afridi at all, um, but oh, uh, I didn't. But you can talk about it. right. Okay, seeing as you haven't mentioned him, I will. Great segue. Uh, I did often wonder why there were so many Afridis floating around 
Pakistan cricket, and I thought maybe it's a common last name. It is, in fact, a tribe ah. of Pashtun tribe uh, located in the Khyber district. And the reason I was looking up Shahid Shah Afridi was to come up with a hilarious nickname based around Rail Pindi Express, which was Shah Bakhtar's nickname. And he's not from Rail Pindi, so I can't use that. So I'm thinking of maybe the Khyber killer or something along those lines. Hey, hey you can't be saying that. Bloody hell. Surely Coming in hot, Alex. Jeez. Why? What's wrong with that? Oh, anyway. Historical, yeah, historical violent region, kid. <laughs> well, the Afridi's protected the territory. research, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of action, did anyone see him in the crowd in the first day? No. Uh, How's his hair going? Is it still terrible? Nah, between me and you. Fucking Jesus. Looked like he had cladding on his face. Jeez. Yes, the Afridi is very powerful and historically relevant tribe in the Khyber region, which borders on Afghanistan. So I found that quite interesting. And Afridi is said to, is reported that he will be engaged to Shahid Afridi's eldest daughter, Aksa. So that's another fun fact. So keep that in your memories. Could come up in a trivia uh, night somewhere. So. So, yeah, so Shaheen Afridi and Nassim Shah are the two quicks for Pakistan, and they did a right old job of making knobs of themselves during the fucking Australian first innings. Ah, oh, lots of staring. Getting getting whacked and then staring and gobbing off. It's like, you're not doing anything, buddy, but anyway. <laughs> it's a road. Yeah. Oh, also, Pakistan have the oldest-looking 35-year-old oh, in now, man, I've ever seen in my life. He was older than Gadding did when he was playing. Don't you burst him? I like. I watched a, a good air of this last night, and Muhammad Rizwan. Did you see him getting hit in the hand? Oh yeah, about keeping? eight times. He fling his glove forty-five meters across the oval. <laughs> it was the greatest load of. <laughs> <laughs> it was the greatest load of theatrics I'd ever seen. He's like an Italian soccer player, just rolling over, throwing gloves off, carrying on. It's like, mate, if your hand stuck, go off. Because they were talking about who the backup keeper was, you could. Well, it was one of the other fielders. You could have just taken the gloves, and Rizwan could have had a break. Well, I didn't get it. It was ridiculous. Maybe it was time wasting, so they could bowl less overs. I don't know. Yeah, well, they, this is the same side that called for um, the trainer, a jumper, and a drink with four overs to go on the first day. So <laughs> yeah. we like. I mean, we, the Australian team, Australians, we can't sling stones because yeah, but still, like, uh, like Steve Smith walks out, it. faces up, blocks a ball, calls for gloves. <laughs> <laughs> Give me some gloves. Start, runs off when it starts raining. Even the umpires haven't called playoffs. Yeah, Mike Setter and gets gloves. The <laughs> Calls for gloves halfway out batting. Glove punches the bloke coming off after being out. Nah, take him off. So the chap Alex was referring to was uh, Norman. Uh, not not Norman. Norman Ali. Norman. Norman Ali. Norman Ali. So it was Norman Norman Ali who took six for 107. Uh, on that deck, well bowled. I mean, a couple were strangled down leg side, but you know, come on, it's 11 wickets in five days of cricket. So well bowled, Norman. Oldest 35 year old in history. So we will move on from that test match. Um, so, Roscoe, I've got you penciled in for a quiz. Do you still have your quiz available to do? I've had to, because of just recent events, hold it off for okay. fortnight, Nick. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. Quiz got <laughs> fortnight or indeterminate amount of time. Yeah. 
Where's got Another COVID? Day. Yeah, I need some, need some more. <laughs> pen, need a pen. Got to call out to the 12th man to get you a pen to write the quiz down. We need a variety. to drop shit off to us. That's what we need. <laughs> All righty. So if we've got no quiz, we'll move on to the final prong in the Trident of Mid-Off Cricket Podcast. And that is the local cricket. So we'll kick off this week's instalment of local cricket with Kamal Deep Singh of the North Pines Cricket Club, who became the first player this summer, this summer, summer to make a triple century when he made 337 off 137 balls. Far out. For those playing at home, that is a strike rate of 245.9. So cut. Maldeep Singh would hit 36 fours and 21 sixes oh. in his 337. 21 sixes. That's good going. Yeah, very good going. Where so was it up, played? Uh, we've got a bit of a story, uh, not, just, not just stats. So we've got, we head to the uh, Mackie Cricket Club where Craig Park played his 350th match for the machine, as they are called. Um, so the 45-year-old has been a tape staple of the top side for many seasons, but a recent hamstring injury has seen him playing H-grade, happens to the best of us, Craig, where he notched up his 350th game. Whilst this doesn't seem like a big, massive deal, because we hear about both playing 400 and 500 and all that. Yep, 700 and stuff like Craig that. Craig Park has been the Mackie first 11 champion on 10 occasions. <laughs> He has taken 639 wickets and made 5,114 runs. Jesus. So Craig's brother, Dale, has also played 350 games for the club. And their late father, John, played 376 games. Ah. As a family, they have John, the father, the mother is Pam. Craig and Dale are all life members at the Mackie Cricket Club. So shout out to the Park family. Well yeah, done yeah. to all involved. People like you are what make local cricket clubs fun. My word. Absolutely. So next up, we move over to Melbourne and we talk a little bit <clears throat> of women's premier cricket where Ira Ari of the Essendon Cricket Club took 6-4-1 of four <laughs> overs. <for the laughs> so she bowled 24 dot balls, which gives her an economy of 0.25 runs and over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so next up, uh, shout out to the Tea Tree Gully Career Club, who they who after declaring their second innings with a 58 run lead, would then roll through Adelaide for 57 to win by a run outright, and that's all in the back of Tim Oakley who took seven for 30. So well done to Timbo. Jesus. And lastly, is a shout out to Luke Kirk of the Pingali Noonbeen Cricket Club, who hit the perfect over on the weekend. So he hit six sixes, which gave him a final score of 91 of 61 balls. That is a strike rate of 149.81. Well done, Lukey. On your Lukey boy. So that is local cricket for this episode. And that brings us to (laughs) the pointy end. Of episode 169. Do the point any, of the trident. Do we have any listener feedback, boys? Just to obviously... Uh, yeah, I've got some. I'll just read it out. You talk in. Sorry, just read mine one out. I'll give yep. a bit of paper here. Uh, have you blokes quit? That's <laughs> that's all I've got. <laughs> <Sure does. Yeah. laughs> Bull have. You would have been happy, Bull, if we just pulled up stumps after this three-week <laughs> period of not no, recording. Well, 
for 169 episodes, I've been the surliest man in the country. Had we have pulled up stumps, you, I might have changed my tune and been the happiest bloke ever to live. <laughs> but well, too, too fucking bad. I was stopped in the street during the week. Yeah. Um, I was around my mid-off cricket podcast hat, which is my want. And someone stopped me in the street and said, are you Mick from the mid-off cricket podcast? <laughs> I really like your stuff. Um, the way you hold that merry band of men together in <laughs> crises or otherwise um, really is the the top echelon of any podcast I've ever heard. No, I didn't have the heart to tell her that I wasn't you. So <laughs> I signed a bit of paper using your name and um, she went home uh, a very happy lady with a Michael Carenti um, scratched autograph. So that's my listener feedback. With two T's incorrectly spelt. Yeah. Yeah. Just like a team sheet from 12 years ago. You're doing better than me, David, who was uh, walking down the street the other day and got pulled aside and said, Hey, are you the chief from Inspector Gadget? I said, Ah, you're looking good, Mick. I reckon (laughs) you're looking good. (laughs) (laughs) It suits you that moment. Chief for Inspector Gadget. Something I haven't thought about in a while. Uh, all righty, that'll do us here for this episode of the Mid-Off Cricket Podcast. Yeah, um, Ross. So, see you later, Roscoe. Uh, I guess, does Ross have a final thought for me? Yeah, anything, Ross? Absolutely. Uh, ferocious line of questioning in the last minute and a half, Ross. It's not like Roscoe <laughs> had nothing to say. Yeah, it's a bit weird, isn't it? <laughs> uh, so, thanks to the Frederick Harold Sock Company Studios. Um, get, yourself some, get yourself an order in for some socks. As we know, it's the Labor Day weekend coming up, and everyone knows Labor Day weekend, you give each other socks. As is tradition now, so um, yeah. So thank you to uh, Fred and Carol. Thank you to uh, all our listeners. Uh, thank you to you boys for uh, jumping on with us. Pleasure. Oh, the pleasure's all mine, Michael. That's so the first time you thank you for hundred so, I know. I didn't know what to say. I was <laughs> shocked. So, as the great Jim Cornette would say, thank you. Fuck you. Bye bye, everybody. I wish everyone all the best. That really proves Mick thinks. Yeah, just, just like uh, in a bit of ad-libbing at the end, and he managed to pull out some heartfelt words. <laughs> 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 <laughs>